As a business and leadership mentor, wife, and mom, I know that building a legacy business as a high-performing female entrepreneur can be overwhelming when you play many demanding roles in your life. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be a powerful, high performer in your career, plus enjoy a fulfilling marriage and be a great mom all at the same time. Join me and my guests every week to get the inside scoop on what it really looks like to build a high growth business while living a life truly aligned with your family and personal values. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the show. It's Megan here, and I am coming off an incredible two-day in-person intensive with a couple of incredible clients where we dove into looking at and, and evaluating their entire group program. Uh, each one of the women who were there are having six and multiple six-figure launches. They are working with a lot of clients at one time, actually across multiple programs. They have their main flagship program, and then they have a, a you know another program for people who are not quite ready for the flagship, and then they each have a higher-level program or mastermind above that. We were spending most of our time looking at their flagship program, and so much changes with the way that we are required to lead, teach, facilitate, coach, design, deliver, and structure our group programs, when they start to experience high volume growth in enrollment. What that means is, you know, if you are an expert or a coach, you probably started out working with clients one-on-one, and then you transitioned into working with groups. Usually, a business coach tells you to do that, to go in that order, to go in that direction. And once you hit a certain financial amount, a lot of coaches do this, you hit a certain amount of money, like maybe you made $100,000 or you've worked with at least least 10 or 20 clients one-on-one. If you want to scale, you now need to start launching and filling and running group programs. So you're basically just completely changing your business model. Now, I'm... I'm going to say this. I'm not a fan of anybody talking about scaling their business when they're making $100,000. Your business isn't really at a place where it is even capable of scaling until you are beyond a million dollars a year. You can begin to construct a business model that is going to be more scalable for you when you are transitioning from one-on-one to group, but you're not scaling at that level. Okay. So I want to be really clear about what we mean by scaling. So when someone's transitioning into group programs, usually they start with one and they get it going. They have some six-figure launches, some multiple six-figure launches. And then typically the business coach will guide that client to then create an ascension model, which is going to, the idea behind that is so that you can really start to scale even more. It's one of the ways to scale. It's not the only way to scale. There's, there's, I don't know, like 20 different ways that you can scale your business. So what happens is this person transitions into their group program. They have got a handful of clients, the first couple of iterations of the program. Maybe, maybe they start out with their first five clients in a group or their first 10 clients in a group. And a lot of people, it actually does take them launching their program quite a few times before the numbers really grow and multiply exponentially. So 
your first few launches, you may have five, 10 or 15 people join at a time. Most people run a group cohort style or, or launch style where everyone's starting at the same time. Everybody goes through the program at the same time and everybody ends at the same time. And what we've seen over the last five years is a massive growth in what I'm going to call open enrollment, or you may hear people call it evergreen. What we mean by that is that you can join my group program even when I'm not in the middle of a launch. And so that what that person is doing is they're designing and structuring their group program or the model so that they could be making sales into that program 365 days a year. Or in other words, we can sell in between our launches. That's a really big goal for a lot of people. Now, all these things are great. It's going to help you make more money. You're going to get to work with more people. You're going to reach your financial goals. You're going to uh, start doing what you really set out to do when you started your business in the first place, which is help a lot more people and make a really big impact and watch your income increase, right? So you're going to get all of those things. Now, what I want to talk about today is designing your group programs so that they are sustainable. This is really great for you. If you're already running group programs, if you're already making millions of dollars running your group programs, or if you're not, if you have transitioned into running groups already, you're having launches, things are really starting to work well for you, this is great for you. This is great food for thought if you haven't yet started groups, um, because I'm going to share some things with you so that you don't make some of these mistakes in the future. I'm actually going to share with you three big mistakes that I do see a lot of coaches and experts making when they are designing their groups. So let's start there. We'll start with some of the state mistakes that I see happening that group program leaders are doing uh, throughout the duration of running their programs as the enrollment continues to increase. So as enrollment continues to increase, the way that you, again, structure and lead and deliver your program, the way it's formatted, a lot of the different elements of the program, they, they have to change. The way that you served five clients at a time in a group program or 10 or even 15 clients, really even like 20, 25 clients at a time in a group program is vastly different than how you're going to serve more than that at one time, especially if you've got two or three different group programs running simultaneously and you end up having hundreds of clients that you're serving. Some of the clients I work with as a consultant they might have 150 people inside of their program or 200 people inside of their program. And the way that you serve and run that program is very different than if there were only 10 people in it. But what we see happening is now you've got 50 or 100 or 200 people in your program and you're actually, it's functioning or you're trying to make it function in the same way you originally designed it. Or you are still incorporating so many of those original original elements that, quite frankly, just don't fit anymore. And we know they don't fit because either your clients or too few of your clients are getting exceptional results. You know, I think the statistic out there, whatever it means, it's like less than 7% of clients who are taking programs online from coaches and experts are actually getting the results that are being sold to them. I've also heard it said um, less than 7% of clients taking groups and courses are finishing, are getting all the way to the point of completion in the program. 
those are two different definitions. I don't know that a lot of data exists on this in the coaching and expert industry. I'd be very interested to find out. So maybe I will do a little bit of research on that to see if I could actually find like hard data that shows us those numbers um, because we do hear them a lot. So we know that things are not working as well when your enrollment increases. If a very small percentage of your clients are getting results, are making measurable progress, are showing up and engaging, right? That's just a problem that you're going to have when you serve a larger audience. Humans are humans. I used to be a high school teacher. Um, I also taught online. You are just going to have people who do not show up at all, who never participate. Although we do want to see a very, very low percentage of your clients falling into that particular category. Um, the other thing that you may notice is fewer of your clients are satisfied with their experience, even if they are seeing great results. I hear this one a lot. Um, someone will say to me or ask for my advice and say, hey, Megan, I got this email. It was it was from one of my clients. This client is getting really, really great results. And I'm like so shocked or so triggered of what I'm seeing this person say in this email about the way they feel around my program and my, my leadership in the program or their experience of the program. And what a lot of people will say in response to that is that's just classic self-sabotage. That client's just not taking full responsibility for their experience and their results. Is there some truth to that? Maybe. Is that always true? No. And so if we believe every single time we're seeing clients not engage, not participate, not show up, not get great results, or send in a disgruntled email or not renew, and our thought is every client who does that is just self-sabotaging, or every client that does that and has that behavior just isn't taking responsibility, or if the thought is every client that has that behavior, they just never were a good fit to begin with. What we're doing is we are displacing our own responsibility to be a world-class leader and to continue to skill up in very key areas you need to skill up in to be an incredible group program leader. You still have to take that responsibility. It is your responsibility, just like it's my responsibility, to create an environment where our clients can thrive. So what I would say to that person who got that email, the first question I would ask myself or suggest that person ask themselves is, is there any truth to this? Because if one person is experiencing those things, they are not the only one. They're just the only one who's brave enough to say something to you. And what we find also uh, is that not only are we seeing clients maybe disgruntled, not having a great experience, we see our results ratio go down, the business owner starts to become a little bit more frustrated and frazzled, maybe on the on the brink of burnout, but they just don't know what they need to do differently in the program so that they can begin to really pull themselves out of being so incredibly involved with client support, program delivery, and day-to-day -day operations of the program. Those are the two big things that I hear. And then, of course, I do hear people saying, like, I know where I'm going. I know that I want to take this company to the next level. I just don't know how to restructure things inside my group program, but also with my team and systems and processes and operations so that we can sustain the level of growth that I desire. So three top mistakes that I see. 
when your programs are experiencing exponential growth in enrollments, client enrollments. The first one is what a lot of folks will do is continue to add additional features and elements and touch points and calls. They just pile more stuff and more material and more things for their clients to do. And some of those decisions are great decisions and it should be in the program. The problem is we're just stacking more things on top of what was already there. And now what happens is we've overwhelmed our clients and you've overwhelmed yourself or you are overwhelming your team members that you have in positions to be facilitating certain things revolving around client success and client support. So that's the first mistake that I see. The second mistake that I see is continuing to create too much reliance on you, the business owner, the CEO. Now, why does that happen? It, this one's really easy. So this typically happens because when you started your program, it was manageable. You only had 5, 10, or 15 clients. You could afford to have a monthly one-on-one coaching session with them yourself. You could afford for them to have Voxer access to you. You could afford for them to fill out a document and send it to you for review before they took action. You could afford for your clients to send you you know, five pages of copy to review and give your feedback. And in fact, maybe that was a smart move for you to do at the very beginning because you were really figuring out what was going to work and what wasn't going to work. Now, all of a sudden, you're having six and six, six and multiple six figure launches. And with that comes a whole lot more clients. But what we're finding is that the leader of the program, the coach, in this case, the listener here, you, you have this thought that your clients, because the evidence is coming out of your clients' mouths, that your clients are only going to be happy, satisfied, and get results if they have that level of access to you. And so you keep adding on times that you can deliver this to your clients and you think you're doing the right thing. You believe that it's highly valuable because it's what they're telling you they want. They're asking for more of your time and you keep giving it to them, but you're spreading yourself so thin. And what you're ultimately doing is creating a whole lot of codependency in your program. When you get to that place, it becomes extremely complex to try to dig yourself out of that by yourself. And that's when a lot of clients come to me. A lot of clients come to me because they are having extremely successful launches. They are onboarding a new group of clients very frequently throughout the year. Their program enrollment is going up, 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 and up. And so every couple of months, they're having to really restructure and recalibrate how do I up-level my program so that more clients are getting results. We're not diminishing client results. More clients are satisfied and having a, a great experience so that they're renewing. I'm retaining them. They are, they're making such great progress and getting such great results that they're moving up to my next level program. But also all this happening in a way that it's not taxing on you as a business owner. Because again, there's only one you and you can only do so much. The third mistake that I see is not asking clients for feedback. This one actually really surprises me. I'm really surprised that I don't see more leaders and coaches and CEOs running group programs asking frequently for their clients' feedback. 
and they're making a lot of assumptions. Um, Look, it's fine if you are collecting feedback in the organic community platform that you have set up for your clients. I'm sure they're in there celebrating, they're talking about their wins, and maybe they're even talking about their problems in there too. So you can tell how, how your clients are doing. I'm sure organically you, you're hearing them, you're coaching them, you're teaching them on live calls every single week. So you have a relatively good pulse on, at least from the people who are showing up. But we want to be asking for feedback from our clients frequently in a more formal way that is collecting real data. Also, clients want to know they have a say-so in the updates and upgrades and shifts and changes that you are making in the program. In fact, I do interviews. I do third-party interviews for my clients. So I am interviewing my clients, current clients, and past clients because it tells me so much of what I need to know about what we need to come in and do differently inside of this program so our clients are more satisfied and getting even better results so that they're sending really great referrals and they're becoming loyal advocates of the brand and the program uh, and the company. And one of the things that I was that uh, someone shared with me recently, she gave me quite a quite a healthy list of things that she really wanted to see change in the program. And one of the questions that I ask in my feedback is what the client's intentions is next. Are they going to stay in the program? Are they going to join a different offer in the in the CEO's ecosystem? Or are they going to like completely exit altogether? And this client was going to come up for, for renewal in probably three or four months from the date of that conversation I had. And she goes, I'm going to be really honest. If some of these things don't change, I'm definitely not staying. This was someone who has gotten incredible results. So this is not someone who struggled in the program. This was not someone who did not meet the promise of the program. This was one of the clients that had gotten the best results in the program. And the the key thing to take out of what I just shared there is she wants to know that she's being heard. She wants to know that someone is looking at her feedback, having a conversation about it, taking it to heart, analyzing it, evaluating it, and then incorporating at least some of it in future changes in the program. Now, you're not going to be able to make every single change that every single one of your client puts inside of a feedback form. You can't do that. You're not going to be able to do that. And you're not going to be able to do it all at once. But I do believe periodically you should be collecting feedback, having conversations with your team about it, or bring someone like me in to help you do this because it's exactly what I do for my clients, and then make adjustments and changes based on that. But there's timing to that. There's a way to roll those things out. We don't want to come in and shock and jolt our clients because it can actually create quite the upheaval in your program. So there's a way to do that. Those are not the only mistakes that I see, but those are the ones that I find very top of mind that I tend to hear and see most often. So let's get into a little bit of the restructuring conversation here. You know, the title of our episode is Designing Sustainable Group Programs so that you don't feel like you just want to burn the whole thing down. I have worked with multiple clients who have a program generating uh, seven figures. Like their group program is literally generating seven figures worth of income into the the business. And I have heard those clients say many times, you know, last night, I literally almost talked myself into closing down the whole thing because they just don't quite know what to do 
to start really eliminating themselves from so much of the day-to-day operations and client support and client delivery because they realize if I keep going the way I'm going, I can't scale and reach my next level goal, especially their financial goal. Because what they're looking at is I have X number of clients right now and I'm already stretched too thin. If I double the number of clients coming in or I triple the number of clients coming in, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. And there's a lot of other thoughts that come along with that as well. So I want to burn down my business is not something that I hear from someone who just can't get it going. I hear it really often from people who have been in business for a very long time and they just don't quite know what needs to give, what to shift, what to change. They've literally tried so many different options and they just cannot crack the code. So let's talk about some of the things that I recommend that you put in place and restructure when your group program experiences high enrollment growth. And all of these ideas are coming from the place of what's going to allow your group program to be sustainable for you, your team, your company, and also your clients. These these are in no particular order. This is not an end-all, be-all list. These are just five suggestions that I wrote down on a sheet of paper that I see a lot of in in programs when I come in and I do some restructuring, but this is not a complete list. There are lots and lots of possibilities and options. The first thing that you want to think about, so this is number one, when it comes to restructuring, when your volume significantly increases in your programs, that is putting your clients in small groups where they are meeting together as a small group periodically throughout the month, and they are having their own peer-to-peer led discussion. You can have someone who's the leader of the small group. You can give the small group a name. I've seen it called accountability pods, board of directors, a brain trust, um, a think tank. You can call it, you know, any, any number of things you can call this group. And you would actually assign one of your clients who's in the pod to be the pod leader. In fact, I have been in programs where I'm the client, I'm paying to be in the program, and we have either accountability buddies or accountability pods or small groups, whatever you want to call them. And I've been the leader of that. And it's not a lot of work, but what I want you to really start thinking about, you don't have to go make these changes in your program today, but I want you to start thinking about what true scale in your business is going to come from if you have a model that is based on group programs or even courses. Honestly, even if you're running courses, you really want to think about this. And it's designing your program so that it is more community-based. Your community is actually what's going to give you the ability to scale. I'm going to say that again. Your community your client base, your clients inside the program, they are giving you the ability to scale because you are giving up some of your control to your clients to step up and be leaders. So they could be assembling online, like I've described here, or they could be assembling geographically. Um, I'm looking at joining another, it's not a program. Um, it's sort of like a networking group. It's like a re- the purpose of it is to um, cultivate relationships and build relationships. If you have more of a boutique 
consulting style of a business. And what the organization wants to do is have in-person geographical, like wherever you're located, like I'm in Florida, I'm in Tampa, Florida, but members of the actual community are leading geographical groups. And I actually already put my hat in the ring and I said, Hey, when I decide to join this, I want to be the leader of the Tampa group. I want to assemble it. I want to be the leader of it. You're not paying your clients to do this. And so lots of times when I share ideas like this with clients, they'll say, well, what do I have to pay them? Or why would somebody who's so busy want to do that? And just take a look at me. I have a lot going on. Do I have room to take on one more leadership role? Absolutely, I do, because I know that I want to feel very invested in that community and in that brand and in that company, and I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. And that's what you really want to create for your community. You want to create something that is bigger than them, that they desire to be a part of. It's just like with your team. If your team doesn't feel like they have purpose and autonomy and a say-so, and they don't feel like they can be a leader in their position in your company, you are absolutely not going to get the best out of them. And you're going to be frustrated with them. And you're going to have a revolving door of a team. It's the exact same with your clients. So I highly recommend creating some sort of small groups or accountability pods or a think tank for peer-to-peer learning, completely separate from being on a call that you need to be on or a team member needs to be on. So that's one way to re- to to add in a layer of restructuring your program to support high enrollment growth. Number two, this is another one that I absolutely love. I have only seen one client ever do this when bringing me in that it's already in place. And that is creating some sort of client success blueprint. You create the template of that. Your clients fill it in. Now, why do you want to do this? There's lots of reasons why, but the one that I want to share with you today is this. Most offers have a promise. So if you are running a group program, you have a program promise, meaning you're out marketing and selling and you're saying, hey, person, ideal client, when you come join my program and you do all the work and you show up and you take action and you implement, you get all the way to the end. This is what you are going to be able to accomplish and it needs to be measurable, right? So you're going to be able to track their progress. You're going to be able to measure whether or not they got results by the end. Here's what's really important to understand. Not every single client coming into your program actually values that program promise the most. And so you want to find out What does each individual one of my clients, what do they value most? What are their individual goals? What is their timeline? What are the obstacles in their way? Not every single one of your clients is created equally. And even if you have a qualification process in place, which I teach as well, you should have a qualification process in place. You shouldn't just be letting anybody join your program. There should be criteria that they meet. I heavily believe that... um, Group programs do need to be exclusive because you do have a promise and you do want to bring people in who have the ability to be successful in your program based on what you're going to be teaching and guiding them to do. However, 
Some of your clients are single, not married. Some of your clients have a spouse, no kids. Some of your clients are a single parent with three kids. Some of your clients are married with four kids. Um, Some of your clients have a spouse who does business with them. Some of your clients have a spouse who has three other businesses. Some of your clients are auditory learners. Others are kinesthetic. Others are auditory. Some of your clients are caregivers for their parents. Some of your clients have children with special needs. And every single thing under the sun, some of your clients process and learn in one particular way, and then other clients process and learn in in another way over here. And what I'm talking about here is group dynamics. So having a client success plan or a client growth plan or a client blueprint really helps your clients figure out what direction am I going to go in and why? What are the resources that are most important for me? And it also informs you and your team. And then throughout the duration of your program, you want to give your clients an opportunity to say, hey, I completed my initial growth plan. I got my quick wins. I want to create my next growth plan. This is really, really important to do in your group programs as your volume, your your client enrollment increases. I actually help my clients design these and build them because most of them do not have one when I come in. The third uh, piece of restructuring you want to do when your group program is experiencing high volume growth, it is tracking client progress. And it is much easier to track client progress when you have some sort of client success plan in place. So really think about, you know, how how can you how will you know as a CEO and your team, how will you know and how will your client know if they are making progress? towards their desired goals in your program. And this is really important for the client as well, because a lot of clients are only thinking about the promise of the program or this one big goal that they want to reach at the very end of the program. But in their mind, as they're going through your program, they're going to start beating themselves up. They're going to start comparing themselves to other people who are moving really fast. And all they're going to be thinking about is, why have I not reached the goal yet? When am I going to reach the goal? And they will completely ignore all the small steps and the small wins and the progress that they are making in lots of categories and areas of their life. And it's really important that your clients are highly aware of the progress that they are making. It's not enough for you to just tell them they're doing amazing. You want to praise your clients. You want to tell them they're doing amazing. You want to tell them they should be proud of themselves. And they should also be able to see with their eyeballs by tracking something that you're going to create so that they can see that progress. But you and your entire team also needs to see the progress that the client is making or not making because you need to have a playbook in place so that you and or your team knows what to do when you're noticing certain behaviors, actions, reactions, or inactions with your clients. And one of the best ways to identify that is by helping them track their progress. Number four, I've got two more left. Number four, I already talked about this with one of the biggest mistakes. Hands down, start collecting feedback from your clients. You can collect feedback in an informal manner. You can also collect feedback in a formal manner, or you can call it organic or uh, not organic. I don't know the opposite of what that would be, collecting feedback. Um, It's really simple to do. And you want to review that feedback. You want to listen to your clients. You want to really take to heart what they're telling you. 
as a team, you want to get together and discuss that and figure out where can we better support our clients? Where does it make sense to incorporate some of the things that they're suggesting? The worst thing to do, the worst thing to do when you have a group program is to have accountability measures in place, help them track their progress, ask for feedback, and then not follow up or follow through on it ever. So the client really feels very unsupported. They do not feel seen. They do not feel heard. And you will start to see them retreat. They will stop engaging and participating as much, and they will start looking for somebody else to go hire, even if it's another organization that isn't, you know, isn't going to deliver on their promises. So collect feedback. That's incredibly important. And finally, number five, this is a biggie. And I spend a lot of time with my clients on this one. Your onboarding process will absolutely make or break your experience. And it will also make or break the experience that you have with your incoming new clients. The onboarding process is one of the keys in conjunction with designing a program that is heavily based on community, which I talked about earlier um, with my number one, with the the, uh, small group pods. But your onboarding process is the initial impression that a new client has with you as soon as they join your program and that transaction happens. It's very important to recognize that the relationship shifts in an instant. When a client goes from an audience member, a lead and a prospect, talking to you in a sales conversation, you built whatever know, like, and trust you needed to build at that level. It shifts in an instant when that money goes through and their card is charged, that contract is signed. Now you are kind of starting over building a new kind of relationship with your client. Now you are coach client or leader client or expert client, whatever you call yourself, mentor client. Your client is also now part of your bigger community of clients. So not only are they building a brand new kind of relationship with you that you have to rebuild on love, trust, and respect, but you also have to build mutual love, trust, and respect among your client base as well. And if your incoming clients in an, like immediately within 24 to 48 hours, do not feel that, they're really going to start questioning if they belong in your ecosystem. Here's a, here's a statistic I, I, you really want to understand and know, and that is that your clients are making a decision on whether or not they're going to renew working with you or continue working with you based on their experience in the first zero to 90 days of working with you in your group program. Some are going to decide day one, and some are going to, it's going to take them 90 days to figure that out. One of the pieces of, um, when I have interviews with my clients' clients, I do the third-party interviews, we talk about onboarding experience. And that's typically the one where I don't hear, people are not giving the programs that they're in high scores or high marks on the onboarding process. And usually when I'm excavating the, the systems and the processes and the SOPs and the programs that I'm auditing, onboarding processes are almost non-existent. You know, the most I'll see is um, there's an, a welcome email and we have a one-on-one call with them or a welcome email and a group orientation call, and then it's over. 
there's so many other parts and pieces to the onboarding process. And what I really want you to start thinking about is the psychology of the, the person who is now not just a buyer because they just bought from you, but now they're a client. And psychologically, what are they going through? Um, I'll tell a quick story. I have joined programs before that were group programs. They were larger scale and they were designed to be rolling enrollment, which meant you didn't necessarily come in with a group of 30 people or 10 people all at the same time. You may have come in like you and one other person came in. And I remember one experience I had, I actually thought the very beginning of the onboarding process when it was just me and someone on the team, it was actually really great. I thought it was awesome. It was quick. It was seamless. I was introduced to team members. I got access to the program, the portal, the membership site. I had a really great understanding of how the program functioned. And then that was it. And then all of a sudden I got to come to group calls and I remember showing up to one of the group calls. It was a zoom call and I saw, you know, maybe 15 to 20 other faces on the call. There was a team member on the call running it who I'd never met. I'd never been exposed to that person. And because in this program, the the business owner wasn't running all the calls, which is, you know, you also want to move in that direction too. Um, I didn't know the person leading the call. I'd never met them. I had never met anybody on the group call. I didn't know a single person in the program. And I wasn't, I wasn't um, introduced to the, to the group. I wasn't asked to introduce myself to the group. And I think the call I went to was just kind of like this open Q&A, open office hours. And people were asking all kinds of questions about their business. Now, I was not new to business. I had been in business for, for nine years. Um, I knew what I was doing in business. But I felt so, uh, what's the word? I definitely didn't want to raise my hand and speak up. I definitely didn't want to ask a question. I could tell that a lot of people on that call had been in the program for a long time. Some of them were even on year two or three. The way that they were talking with each other, I could tell the community knew each other really well. And then here I am, the only new person, and just was not really... Uh, welcomed into the community, not because they didn't want me there. There just wasn't anything in place to do that well. Um, Same program, there was actually a group Voxer channel that I was never told about, didn't know about, wasn't added to it, found out, I think, five months after I had been in the program. And that was actually the first time where I felt truly connected to the actual community. And that wasn't until five months in. And I'm sharing this story That particular program was 12 months long and I stuck it out. I did it, although I didn't use hardly any of the elements of the program after that. So that's important to notate. But I made my decision within the first two months that I wasn't ever, I wasn't going to join that program again. I was going to fulfill my financial obligation. I was going to use what I could use that worked for me, but this was not the place for me. And I made that, again, I made that decision within the first month, if not two months. And there was really nothing that was going to change my mind at that point because it just didn't, it just didn't get started off on the right foot in the onboarding process. So it's in, in speaking of feedback, the first uh, piece of feedback you want to collect from your clients is after the onboarding process. So around like day 30, day 45, of a client being in your program, you need to find out where their head's at. You need to find out what they're experiencing because that's early enough 
that it's not too far into the program that if anything's about to go awry, you can really catch it. You can turn that ship around very quickly. It's when you wait too long. It's when you wait until halfway through the program or nine months into the program, and then you start talking to your clients about renewing, they're nowhere close because you didn't catch all the other things at the beginning of the program that they were thinking in their mind and not telling anybody. And that's where we as leaders really have to change the way we are thinking about whose responsibility is it. Yes, it's our client's responsibility to get the results they came for. And as leaders, it's our responsibility to create, design, deliver, and cultivate community and environment and atmosphere, curriculum, connections, so that our clients are showing up, they are engaging, they are learning, they are transforming, they do feel connected, they do feel like they belong, they are out singing the praises, they are out feeling comfortable enough to bring to recommend the program to someone else and they're bringing great people in with them and they want to contribute. They literally want to be a contributor to other people's success in the program. They want to be a contributor to a contributor to your success with your program and your business. So these are really really important things to think about especially in an industry that you know a lot of clients Buyer psychology has very much shifted, I think, across the world in the last couple of years. But buyer psychology has very much shifted in the personal and professional development spaces, in the coaching and expert industry. People are being more discerning about their decisions. They're taking longer to make their decisions. People are getting very clear on the type of person they want to work with, the kind of program they want to be in. You know, people like me who've been around for 10 years, we are looking for certain types of engagements that we want to join. So it's so important that we see this this as an opening and a window of opportunity for incredible innovation and to raise the standard, to raise the standard that we as leaders and group program facilitators and coaches are holding ourselves to. Because when we hold ourselves to a higher standard, then we actually have the chops to hold our client to a higher standard. So I hope that you've gotten some incredible value in today's conversation around designing sustainable group programs. Um, this is just a short list. It, it's a complex topic. I'm going to be honest. Um, I see it as very simple and easy because I've been doing this for 18 years. It is my zone of genius. It is my background. It is what I have done and what I have studied in, in each of the careers that I've had. But it is also extremely complex. And additionally, it is not being taught in any business coaching program or mastermind that you are in. We're being taught to launch and market and enroll and sell and just have a scalable business model. And that's great. It's very important. But we equally need to be talking about how we can become profitable and how we can really serve our people at the highest level of excellence possible. So if you are someone who is beginning to really experience high volume growth, with enrollments in your group programs, and you are starting to feel the effects of that. And you're not quite, you know, you also have to have a desire to really serve and support and have care and concern for the well being and the growth and the results and satisfaction level of your clients. Um, reach out to me. 
If this is a conversation that really resonates with you, if you're not hearing it anywhere else, um, I actually don't know personally, at least personally, I don't know a single individual who is bringing this kind of work into the coaching and expert space. It exists in other industries. Um, Client success management actually began in the 1990s in the tech and it began in the software industry, actually. Uh, But if this is something that really resonates with you and you would love to have a conversation about how I can come in and support your organization in the categories of client satisfaction, experience, and results, um, as well as community, and uh, in a way that's going to impact your retention, your profitability, your sustainability, while also removing you. You know, part of this is we have to remove you from so much of the client support, client program delivery, and day-to-day operations of the business. And it's a process. This isn't something that necessarily happens overnight. Um, but what you know may take you a year or two to figure out, we could actually do extremely quickly. I like to work very, very fast. I like to implement, and I like working with people who have the ability to implement very, very quickly. So if it resonates with you, reach out to me. I'm very easy to find. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram or email me. And all that information is below in our show notes. And if you have a friend, share this episode out. That is the best way for us to get the word out about the work that we do here and the content that we share on the podcast. So share away so that we can reach more people with this content information and message. Until next time. Remember to design a business and life that is built to last. Thank you so much for tuning into the Built to Last show. If you're loving the show and have gotten any value out of it for your business and life, would you mind doing two things? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Our listener reviews helps us get more visibility and reach more people just like you. Help us make a difference for more entrepreneurs by helping them grow their businesses in a way that aligns with their life, family, and core values. Thank you so much for being part of our community and tuning into the show each week.